0: Welcome to the ALN Podcast Series. Today's episode is brought to you by the Andrew James Advisory Group. AJAG provides training in the ISO 55,000 standard, and our world-class training qualifies students to take the ALN A55K Certification Exam, an industry recognition of an individual's knowledge of the standard. Certified individuals add value to any organization's asset management initiatives, Realizing your ISO 55000 vision need not be painful. Visit us at www.andrewjamesadvisory.com to see how we can help. Now, enjoy the podcast.
1: Welcome, everyone. This is Mike Bordenaro, the Executive Director at the Asset Leadership Network. And I'm very happy to have our good friend, Houston Sinclair, back for a conversation. And uh, before we get started talking uh, with I want to thank our patron members and our organizational members, which are growing. Thank you to uh, the companies that are joining uh, at the beginning of this year. A lot of interest and activity. Really appreciate the support. We wouldn't be able to do these programs without your support. And here are some of the programs that we're doing with your support. Um, Next week, we're going to be having Robert Radovanovic, he is a professor at uh, University of Calgary. He has some really wonderful things to say about transportation, asset uh, management, uh, specifically road uh, surfaces and uh, the the program. He's setting up an asset management uh, degree program at University of Calgary, Uh, just fascinating. And um, We're continuing our ALN web series, Value and Benefits from Asset Management with the Australian Asset Management Council. We have a state of Victoria, Australia. It's gonna be really uh, exciting to hear what a state is doing with their asset management program 10 years into the future. It's, It's really quite advanced. And then Atlanta Airline Terminal Company is expanding their ISO 55,001 certification program. And we'll be hearing about that. So please uh, go to our website and sign up for that next uh, week on February 16th. And then uh, put it on the calendar for March 8th, uh, the city of Greater Gulong, Australia, uh, Municipal Asset Management Showcase. It's the first in a series of at least three uh, programs that we're gonna have on that. And they'll be touching on infrastructure. So that's leading up to our ALN Summit to Sustainable Value Creation from Infrastructure Asset Leadership. It's in the afternoon on March 15th and 16th, and things are lining up. It's a little bit advanced, so I'm not gonna tell you everything that's going on with that for right now, but uh, just wanted to share that that's coming up. And uh, now we can get on with the, the conversation with you. Hugh, how are you doing?
2: Good, good, Mike. Uh, good to be with you again. Certainly looking forward to our conversation. I see you're in the office.
1: Yes, I'm back in the
2: office. Uh, we've been on, uh, well, currently WSSC, we're still in our phase three COVID response uh, in that we've kind of maximized our telework. Uh, By the end of this month, we're looking, based on the improvement on the metrics, to transition into uh, what is or now normal phase four operations, where quite a bit of our workforce, we've transformed uh, and updated uh, quite a bit of flexibility to allow a lot more hybrid telework. So, hoping to welcome back my team and everyone else uh, back into the office under this new schedule, which is really a transformation for utilities. We really have taking the time to transform ourselves into what is the workplace of the future. So proud to have been a part of that and helping. To How
1: work. did that work out for you? Did you feel productivity uh, maintained? Did it
2: increase? Did some things improve and some things slide? Or Well, as, as with all things with COVID, their lessons learned, right? Uh, I think in general, what we've done is that we found certainly a lot of improvement in finding more ways to work and, and finding uh, new ways to work, right? Uh, traditionally, utilities are a very conservative work environment, uh, but uh, I think this in itself has really leveraged the capability for us to move into what uh, are more dynamic workspaces. We've been able to over that time. Well, the I headed up, uh, co-chaired what was our new normal task force when we started COVID. Uh, part of that was really working with uh, or. CEO Carla Reed and the executive team, along with about a 35 to 40 member team, uh, to really look on various ways that we could utilize this transitional period to improve the organization. One of the big outcomes of that was really developing uh, a new telework policy, right? Which really looked on moving things from a job function and how could we really look on what could be adaptable to various classifications of telework you know, whether that's full time, whether that's hybrid or whatever. I think it certainly positioned us to meet the marketplace where it is, right? If you really talk to a lot of us in the utility space, uh, human capital is a real problem right now because, uh, you know, the the great resignation is real, right? Mm talent transference is certainly something that's happening and you need to really just meet the marketplace because it's really been a catalyst over the last two years as to what does work mean, right? And we're necessarily not immune to that. One of the challenges I would say that's really there is that from the beginning, we were dealing with the challenge of having a workforce that's somewhat 50-50 split in terms of we have core functions that cannot go in any kind of remote fashion, right? Uh, You can't fix a pipe over Zoom, right? You can't run a plant from somewhere else. Um, So trying to find equity and parity through that process, while also understanding that we need to... Uh, move with the trends that are there was certainly a challenge, but I think we've met that pretty well. And now we're, you know, worked through uh, the transitional period with that. I think we've uh, found more ways to connect, um, certainly more ways to work efficiently. I think it's certainly accelerated or digital transformation, right? Uh, we have using a lot less paper now, let's put it that way. It took COVID to get us to the paperless office. It took COVID <laughs> to get us there, Right. Um, but I think we've found those uh, areas of efficiency improvement that really helped to transform, and in some ways, some in some ways, revolutionize, right? Or or the proper ev- evolution of where things work. Um, and I think we've we've done pretty good on that. Certainly, growing, working with the growing pains to establish that uh, new frame of reference for the future is still a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we we're just gonna have to meet the task head on, but I think we've navigated very well, certainly under the leadership of our CEO. I think she has certainly embedded the value of a the, the worker safety and uh, a compassionate leadership certainly has benefited us through this entire thing. I think it, uh, coming out of this, it was clear that her fingerprints clearly showed that the value of the worker is, is number one, and we've certainly benefited from that.
1: I was gonna ask if there's any takeaway or, or something that other people might be able to directly apply, but I think you said it already. Uh, just find a compassionate leader. That's all it takes.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, it's not all it takes. It is it, one ingredient, right? I think the challenge now in, this, in the workspace, especially for utilities is that we're gonna have to meet the challenge of where things are, right? not only from what we offer as an incentive to participate in this sector, right? But to be far more concise in what value return comes from investing your time and talent in this sector as well. I think that in itself brings us right back to what we're talking about in terms of asset management. We have to show that we're improving, right? The measurements, yeah. We have to show that we're improving, I have to show that we're not only a part of what, we have to move just beyond being essential, right? We have to be a part of the now and the future. And I think that's definitely what is the what will be, I think, one of the core values going forward in terms of what we have to offer and why this is something that you would want to, you know, invest your time in telling it. Excellent.
1: Well, uh, uh, that uh, expanded uh, uh, into more than just the introductory uh, comment that I thought we'd have, but uh, what I was gonna start with was uh, happy black history month. And I wanted you to uh, share with us uh, one of your favorite uh, uh, parts of uh, African-American history or uh, favorite sure.
2: character. So for me, uh, you know, the, I, I want to just make it a little bit more personal for me. So uh, I'm originally from Jamaica, right. And a little known factor for those uh, who don't have that much of a depth of knowledge of Black history is the Marcus Garvey, right? Marcus Garvey is a national hero in Jamaica, but also Marcus Garvey was quite critical uh, in what was the, the evolution of what it meant to be proud of your ethnicity, right? In the transitional years in the early 1900s, right? And I think uh, what he did in terms of, uh, it was a big part of the Harlem Renaissance and certainly uh, the reshaping of the character to be in a post-slavery environment. Uh, one of the you know, famous uh, sayings that you had coming out of that was, well, he established the UNIA, right? Uh, which was really about black empowerment. Uh, a UNIA. Uh, so
1: UNIA.
2: It. United Negro, uh, I can't remember the last two acronyms. IA, Institute uh, of America. Not necessarily, I'd have to look that up and forget. Okay. You one. I will do that while you're talking. Right. But in a sense, really what he did is that uh, his entire philosophy around it was uh, an understanding of who you were and the value of who you were. Um, one of the my most favorite sayings that he has is that uh, people who have no uh, understanding of their past or their history is like a tree without roots, right? So for me, that has always been uh, a core understanding of not only understanding who you are in the experience of being uh, Black, but also why it is important to understand that there's a larger ecosystem that you exist in, right? And to have that individual value makes you a part of a larger uh, community uh, going forward. And certainly here in Black History Month, uh, even though it is a time that we focus on, it really is a broader understanding of the fact that uh, this is a critical part of our history Uh, but it's a shared history that we all have. And certainly in the commitment of uh, advancing uh, the interests of those who are disenfranchised is certainly something that's a core value for all of us as we move forward. If we want to really live up to the creed of all men being equal.
1: Yes, without a doubt. And this Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act is a perfect opportunity to start to continue writing some of the inequities that we have had. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the Job Act and or the sure. Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act and asset management, but also how it uh, can help with equity. Sure. Uh, let's start with um, uh, any direct way that I, IJA is going to touch you at WSSC.
2: Is that clear? Yeah, definitely. We hope that. Well, put it this way the, for us, it's none of the what would have been the typical engagements, right? WSCC, to its credit, was very progressive to have had a proactive program to eliminate lead service lines from our system uh, from over a decade ago, right? So we're certainly not in what would have been the typical footprint of, uh, of the water portion of the infrastructure bill to eliminate lead service lines. Uh, So for us, that's not necessarily a point of engagement. However, uh, as with all utilities, especially those who have um, longer service histories and aging infrastructure, we certainly are looking to partner and receive the capital injection benefit from it uh, to close our infrastructure funding gap, right? Um, As with most of utilities as well, we've experienced, uh, revenue pressures over COVID, certainly realized by the economic downturn that's there, which has really affected our capabilities to continue our continued investment in infrastructure renewals. So hopefully through uh, the funding that comes down to the states and through the SRF loan programs, uh, we'll be able to move forward some of our infrastructure priorities right now, which uh, you know either had to be deferred or delayed because of adjustments on our fiscal policy due to revenue shortfalls.
1: And uh, I have to apologize to our audience. Uh, I'm so familiar with you and the washington sanitary uh, Washington Suburban Sanitary uh, Commission that uh, I didn't even introduce you properly and say sure. that you're the, the the asset manager for this uh, uh, large organization. Uh, how 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 do you define the organization in terms of uh, so uh, see water?
2: WCC Water is the eighth largest uh, water wastewater utility in the U.S. Uh, we have oh, close to a million, uh, over a million um, accounts. Right, uh, we serve what is two of the largest suburban districts in Maryland. Um, that's close in, close proximity to Washington D.C. Montgomery and Prince George's County. Um, we consider ourselves to be uh, one of the premier organizations in really the water, water and wastewater infrastructure uh, sector. Uh, we value, you know, our core values are really around uh, innovation. Uh, and I uh, really, one of our, we've just selling we're now 104 years old, right? Oh, wow. uh, Starting off from what was the for initial implementation to be a fire <laughs> uh, to respond to fires and then having transformed ourselves over that long history into being you know, a core part of uh, our neighborhood we consider ourselves to be an anchor institution really to be a catalyst for the further improvement of the communities that we serve so my role here is i am the division manager for enterprise asset management which oversees the implementation of asset management uh, program throughout the entire organization covering all of our portfolios from vertical water and wastewater and same for linear water and wastewater as well excellent thank you
1: and uh, i hope the audience uh, uh, will forgive me for not letting you say that uh, right off from the beginning so um with many of the water systems around the country, the lead pipes is the inequity and uh, IJA will address that. Is there anything that uh, the uh, Infrastructure Act will uh, help you uh, make more equitable?
2: Maybe your level of service or I don't know. Where do you think that well, might help? Us, I wouldn't say uh, there's anything because we've done that elimination of lead service lines in or service area that's going to have a direct impact from that. I do say one thing though is that it has really uh, helped to solidify infrastructure equity as a core value um, for the water wastewater industry, right? And one of the overlooked uh, portions of the bill, which I think is going to make major impact, is the capability through funding for it to have impact on uh, low served areas in terms of sewer treatment, right? That's also one of the main overlooked areas. That's usually uh, what you have in native populations and also what is in uh, the Black Belt down south, right? Where you have neighborhoods that are developed that are either on aging septic, not connected to the larger collection system, and usually, lacking funding in terms of increasing the infrastructure, right? Uh, it's really one of our or hidden deficits that's really there because most people consider to modern sanitization to be available uh, consistently across the U.S., but that's not the case, right? And I think this will go a far way in terms of increasing what will be the environmental justice portion uh, for all citizens. Hopefully, excellent. That's
1: uh, that's a great insight. Uh, um, appreciate that. And then um, are there any initiatives this year that you're focused on?
2: Yes, definitely that. Uh, so one of the things that we're working on now that I've been working on for quite some time, well, I'd say two things. Well, one one of the things that I'm most proud of is that I've worked with my team here internally uh, with to develop what is a equity scoring structure that we're using in our capital improvement program, right? So one of the things, we serve a pretty progressive area and one of the core values for both of those areas is equity, right? And when we're looking on racial equity and social justice, we have to understand that infrastructure is not necessarily immune from those inequities as well. So one of the things we were looking on is how could we create an objective framework that would allow equity to have influence over our infrastructure priorities, right? And our funding priorities, but do it in a way that we could not only defend, but was based on objective information. So, uh, my team worked very—we uh, worked very closely with our uh, stakeholder partners in both uh, counties to really develop what we think is, at least for from what we know right now, uh, the first model that we have in the water, water wastewater sector that we're about to pilot. That's based on open source data. So, what we did was to utilize census track information, which has all of the general federal um, equity factors, right, to identify areas within our service area that have uh, deficits in terms of equity, right, uh, factors, whether that is based on uh, income, whether that is based on other socioeconomic factors, right, even down to things such as the percentage of children who have, uh, who have supplemental meals at school and otherwise. What we did with that information, because then we have this geospatial information that's based on not only that doesn't that aligns us with what are the broader municipal priorities because they use the same information. We then were able to overlap that onto our geographical data in terms of where our projects are and then establish what is uh, a framework to to evaluate a return on investment based on if that project was going to provide an improvement in level of service for those areas. Right? and have that baked into our prioritization structure so that we could have a way to objectively compare projects in terms of their funding priorities that bring what is an added socioeconomic impact uh, for us and for our community in terms of prioritizing that funding. Right, So previous funding structures would have various ways of trying to evaluate what are soft targets. Right, So you're not talking just the straight level of service improvement, but how does this impact the community? Mm-hmm. We were able to develop that in, in partnership with that work with a GIS based model and the census data. Uh, we piloted that uh, in terms of doing several test runs on previous year CIPs. Uh, and now we're moving into the pilot phase implementation, which I think will be a game changer for us in terms of having equity as a realized factor in terms of our prioritization. So that's something I'm pretty proud of uh, with our team.
1: Wow. Um- Do you have that set up so you can measure results and are you anticipating, you know, publicizing those results? Because I think uh, a webinar on this when you're ready
2: would be really good for the other systems to see. Yeah, certainly once we've gone through our pilot uh, implementation so we can really get a good sense of how uh, the model uh, is resilient to the in-process stressors that are there will certainly be willing to share that. Uh, and also once we have been able to socialize it more with our municipal municipal partners based on real world results, we'll, we'll definitely be willing to share more. So,
1: yeah, you gotta take care of your partners first, but uh, we wanna help you uh, amplify uh, your results as soon as possible. And Cecilia has a question uh, that's kind of related to that. Uh, so you've taken the information that's uh, publicly available, yes. but what are you doing Are you engaging with stakeholders? Um, How are you doing that? Now, clearly you've got the municipal partners, but uh, are are you doing
2: anything else? So uh, we've worked with our Intergovernmental Relations Office to really uh, establish partnerships with what are the stakeholders of interest in this, right? Uh, But really this came down through uh, what was, I would say um, requirements from, uh, Montgomery and Prince George's County, more so Montgomery County, through a racial equity and social justice criteria that they've established for all of uh, their municipal organizations that they've done, right, that really added the catalyst to it. Also for Prince George's County, equity is one of their primary factors that they look on in terms of uh, going forward. So they're the main two um, points that we worked on. Uh, I know myself and Karen Riley, we also worked with other organizations such as US Water Alliance. Uh, and other organizations that look on it from a broader water sector um, perspective to really mm-hmm. look on how do we inject or create uh, frameworks to allow equity to have the space of influence um, in our decision-making. So uh, we've done it on various different levels. This is a far more discrete example that we're trying to incubate internally. And once mm-hmm. we've kind of gotten uh, a good grasp of it in the real world, uh, I think we'll be able to share more. Great. So uh, another thing I was remiss—you
1: uh, won an award.
2: Yeah, yeah, I see. Can you it's, tell us uh, a little about that? <laughs> okay, so I work with um, and I'm a board member for what is the uh, Virginia Virginia Tech Swim Center Sustainable Water Infrastructure Management um, Institute. Uh, it's set up by Dr. Sunil Sinha uh, from Virginia Tech. So I've been working with them for quite some time. The the entire impetus of the organization is really to work on what is a asset management data smart data strategy for how we do we improve uh, water and wastewater infrastructure. So this year was awarded the infrastructure award for a lot of the work I've done to really try to advance asset management in the water wastewater sector. So it's very proud of that achievement, but certainly something that reflects the passion that I have for this work.
1: Excellent. Uh, was there a ceremony or uh, it's everything it was a virtual ceremony we had to
2: uh, you know virtually convene what was this year's conference hopefully next year uh, we'll be able to uh, have that and pretty much physically collect the award from the previous year so it's been a good year also uh, i want to highlight that um, my team were also awarded this year a smart 50 award for what is another innovative project that we did uh, where we worked with one of our technology partner, Optimatics, to pretty much develop what is a smart, uh, a smart tool to help us to select what is the most optimal packages for our uh, water main replacement program. For those who are in the water utility sector, one of the hardest things to do is you have a very dispersed network, right? A limited amount of funds that you have to engage with each year. Various factors that go into which pipes do you want to change, right? As you can imagine, there's a certain threshold or bandwidth for that efficiency when it comes on to humans trying to do that work. Um, but efficiency is really what, we're, what we were lo- really looking on. And we worked with them to develop a model that helped us to take in all of the factors, infrastructure, socioeconomic, and otherwise, to run what is a cloud-based engine that takes all of our input points. So all of the assets that we've identified that are eligible for renewal, uh, all of, or you know, critical factors. Whether those are you know pavement moratoriums, whether those are priority areas for development based on our counties, whether those are strategic priorities for our organization, um, or um, infrastructure limitations. You know, what is or package size for our contracts? What is um, you know or cap on spending and otherwise? Run that through millions of iterations to come up with what we think is the most optimal package that brings us as close as possible to a package that. Uh, is optimal in its design, in, in its planning design, uh, so that we can go ahead and design more efficient packages that are more uh, efficient in the return on investment and return in our level of service improvement uh, on construction, right? Uh, so we're hoping uh, to, as we implement this further, that we'll be able to have a much higher efficiency level in terms of our level of service metrics, but also. Uh, results that go beyond just reduction of water main breaks in terms of further aligning in a smart model uh, with the various elements that go into why you, in, why you renew your infrastructure and also some of the di- disruptive factors that you want to mitigate.
1: Uh, excellent. Um, is there a um, document you can share with us that we can uh, post and uh, let other
2: people know about? That sounds uh, like something other people would be interested in learning about. Yeah, sure, actually, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of with that as well is that uh, we were able to establish what was a uh, profit sharing partnership with it, right? So uh, we own the intellectual property for the tool, right? And uh, for that as well, we've been able to add an additional revenue stream coming into the utility for uh, sales going forward uh, based on the fact that we own that intellectual property and having that IP as really a, a point of revenue.
1: Okay, so other uh, uh, utilities are reaching out to you and. Yeah, there are other audited. utilities
2: through that, 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 you know, will have evaluated the tool through uh, that vendor, right? Uh, because mm-hmm. they're the ones who are developed and, uh, and pretty much sell the tool, right? Uh, we own the intellectual property, however, we own the IP. So mm-hmm. we have a portion of uh, what is the royalties that come from each sale that they make.
1: Excellent. Um, So in the remaining time that we have, I'd like to ask you what you would like the ALN to do this year. If you were, you know, king of the ALN, what do you think would be good for us to be working on this year?
2: So I think, uh, you know, I've really uh, appreciated the fact, uh, Mike, for for you and Jim to have really brought focus to what is uh, environmental justice, right? Uh, I think that's certainly something that has really taken on a different perspective now in terms of understanding that asset management can be an implementation tool to lean into those factors as well. Well, one of the things I think is of good focus and it's something that I actually tried to, uh, with other partners, lobby directly uh, with the EPA to try and get done was the fact that I think a glaring mistake that we made with the infrastructure bill was not to have a requirement for asset management plans uh, as a point of entry for accessing the funds, right? Because one of the things I'm most concerned about is uh, we've been here before with the stimulus program and with other things where we tend to get into uh, the perspective of having shovel-ready projects to be executed, right? Problem with shovel-ready is never never usually viewed through the lens of what fits into an integrated planning model to bring you the best return on investment going forward or is strategically you know optimal. And I think an asset management plan would have given a vehicle that would have broaden the the perspective as to how we go about that. You know, I, I, as my friend George Hawkins likes to say, you know, we needed to really look on what are shovel-worthy projects versus shovel-ready ready projects, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the, uh, hopefully that's something that uh, ALN can really help to amplify the fact that we need to move from the, you know, the recessive gene, if you would want to call it, of Leaning to cut in the ribbon and shovel ready because almost yes. always what ends up happening is that a couple of years down the line, you know, we have that disconnect with the public and our stakeholders as to what did this do because a lot of problems still exist. Well, thank you for bringing that up
1: because that is indeed something uh, that the Asset Leadership Network is interested in. We equally were upset that there wasn't anything about asset management plans. But uh, we're hoping that in this phase of rules and regulation development, mm-hmm. that we can get the message out to the federal agencies and have them put it into their requirements, as opposed to in the act.
2: Yeah, and I think the guidance is certainly the vehicle that we could use. That
1: so that's part of the reason why we're uh, doing this uh, strong push on infrastructure in the first quarter this year. Mm-hmm. and that our summit is on infrastructure sustainability, how to make those dollars last right. and allow those infrastructure assets to perform the way they're supposed to for a long period of time, have requirements for uh, maintenance uh, funding, you know, mm-hmm. portions of it. So uh, uh, perhaps you can join us as we uh, uh, do virtual lobbying um, and uh, other activities uh, to bring attention to that, the benefit of that.
2: Yeah, and, and certainly I think one of the things as well is was that because the infrastructure really is so broad in its scope, the asset management plans would have been the perfect vehicle to connect the dots between different portfolios of infrastructure, right? Uh, because we're gonna have those competing needs happening over and over again, where, you know, you replace the bridge, but you have to replace the transmission line that runs under the bridge, right? The, there's the rail line that's working with that, right? You have the broadband as well. And the thing is that right now, without an integrated framework, you don't know how all of those correlate together. And then uh, something that allows you to then compare those priorities so you can have smarter planning that's happening, right? Um, hmm. And Certainly, uh, I I would hope that going forward, uh, this can be a, a platform where we can really try to engage in what is a, a smarter planning framework, right? Than what we've been doing all along.
1: Excellent. Well, as always, the time flies uh, with you. Um, uh, never met you in person, but when we do get together, it, it needs to be like some kind of uh, weekend uh, program sure. because I want to sit and talk with you for hours. Uh, but. Uh, This is the end of our time
2: for today. Uh,
1: Thank you so much for uh, joining us again.
2: Always a pleasure, Mike, and and certainly appreciate the the partnership with the ALN and uh, all your staff there, and certainly looking forward to continuing to championing the asset uh, management cause going forward.
1: All right, so then let me just uh, one more time uh, say, you know, thank you, Hugh, and thank our members, Give a shout out, I spoke with Robert today. It was a very good conversation and I I, I asked him, please say the exact same things next week when we talk. And he said, yeah, I've got this down, Pat. He's uh, very passionate uh, about uh, asset management. And uh, next uh, week on February 16th, this uh, really nice program with the uh, Australian Asset Management Council. Then uh, we're gonna be learning more from uh, Australia, uh, city of Greater Gulang, and then the sustainable value creation from infrastructure asset leadership in the uh, March 15th and 16th. So uh, uh, just one more time, thank you, Hugh. And thanks to our audience. Uh, uh, we do this for you. And <laughs> so we appreciate uh, your attendance.
2: Thanks. All right, Mike. Until next time.
0: We hope you enjoyed our podcast, and we would like to thank the Andrew James Advisory Group for their sponsorship. For more information about AJAG and their services, please visit www.andrewjamesadvisory.com or email info at andrewjamesadvisory.com.